listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. This is Kevin Flood on America's Web Radio, the Classic Car Show. Today's guest is Austin Metcalf, owner of Oscraft Engineering. Oscraft is an engineering, fabrication and car restoration business run by Austin. Austin has over 30 years of experience in racing, fabrication, restoration and many other areas of high-quality engineering. The majority of Austin's world-class experience has been gained whilst working at McLaren, the renowned Formula One team and vehicle manufacturer. The aim of the business is to satisfy customers with high-quality product and great customer communication. This is Kevin Flood on America's Web Radio and I'm in Bisley. Uh, Hampshire, Surrey, Surrey. Right in Surrey. I'm with Austin Metcalf, Managing Director of Oscraft, amongst his other. Uh, we're going to have a little walk down memory lane and find out what he's doing these days. And I'll uh, get Austin just to give us a quick overview of his career up to now. Austin. Hi. I uh, started uh, as an airframe fitter uh, and uh, added a couple of fabrication modules on the side of that for my uh, apprenticeship so I ended up doing a seven year apprenticeship I virtually walked straight out of that in 1980 and went into uh, McLaren's just walked in through the door, did a trade test um, and my first job was to cut all the other chaps trade tests up which were absolutely diabolical <laughs> which was quite interesting um, I then spent the next 30 years working for McLaren um, yeah, uh, mainly fabricating but I, I did a lot of travelling with the team um, testing as well as racing with them um, who, did you, who did you work with specifically at McLaren first, on the racing side? Virtually all of them, well, the, first, the first two drivers I worked with was De Cesaris and Watson uh, then Watson Lauda and then Lauda Prost then Prost and Senna, and then uh, Johansson. I think I might get the order a bit wrong here. Johansson came in with uh, Blundell, then Brundle and Blundell together. Um, then Mika and David Coulthard. Um, yeah, uh, right up to uh, Lewis coming in, and uh, then Jensen. Uh, did a, a, I think it was a year or two years with Jensen. Yeah, really nice chap. It's on the racing side. What about on the actual production car side? Did you uh, do some stuff there on the F1? Very, at the very onset of when they decided to put the Le Mans project together. And it was mainly because, at that time, the assembly lines didn't have the capacity or the capability even of fabricating racing roll cages into... Um, they didn't want to send them out to uh, safety devices or one of these other um, companies. So what we ended up doing is the McLaren Fab Shop started making all the ancillaries, i.e. the dry sump oil tank and a few other tanks and pieces that had to go in the engine bay um, and um, roll cage. And I got heavily, quite heavily involved in that. Um, was that for the prototype cars, or was that no, the actual that was, production that vehicle? No, that was solely for the race. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. 
thing. So we did the um, the Tashio Clinic car and the other cars, the custom cars that also did that Le Mans that year, and we absolutely blew the uh, opposition away. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a memorable year that one. And it's how many years were you working on the F1? What the the, the road car? Yeah, the road car. Only for months, not not long at all. It was a very quick project because um, once they we initiated the first, I think, three or four cars. They then um, saw the need to get a, a fabricator hmm. in uh, to uh, the GTR series to take over what we were doing, because yeah. we were being taken away from Formula One, yeah. which obviously at that time was the more important thing. You know, it, it's uh, working on the Formula One cars was always a priority, and it was sort of second secondary to be doing the GTR cars so I would imagine McLaren was a very different place the day you walked in there from the oh. day you walked out how, how have you seen it evolve over time when I walked through the door at McLaren's to get uh, well to Leo Wybrow uh, I went to see him and he interviewed me um, and there was 57 people working there including management and payroll staff and everything that gives you an idea, and that was including truckies down to uh, cooks, the you know the cleaners and everything. Fifty-seven staff, wow. and uh, I think there are over a thousand now. In fact, actual thing today, they are probably thirteen, fourteen hundred staff. So really, everybody knew everybody when you, when you first then, yeah. got there. Yeah. yeah, and it's was it better that the way it changed, or was it um, different? I think when you talk to people, I'm not saying not better because everything evolves but as you make things better sometimes it's not better in some people's eyes mm. um, and I think if you if you honestly hand on heart spoke to a lot of the people who are involved in the racing now who were involved in the 80s will say they had the best days in the 80s yeah. and it was really we, we had good fun you can't have the fun now because of uh, political correctness yeah. and stuff like that. But no, we had the fun then. We we um, we worked hard. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we were sometimes we literally got in the bunny bus at three four o'clock in the morning, went home, went back to the hotel, showered, changed. You got to be back at the circuit for six o'clock. You got. By the time you've done anything, you might as well not go to sleep, so you're doing 24-hour runs straight through. Totally illegal now, of course, but... Um, Particularly if the driver smacks it into a wall or something after half an hour of driving, then you're working all night to put it back together again. Yes, and stuff like that. that happens several times. That's the difference, really, I think, because it's... Having come out of the motor trade in a different way myself, we weren't really allowed to hang apprentices up on engine cranes anymore in that after a certain time because they were then threatening to arrest you and yeah. things like that and all the various initiation things. So I, I kind of guess it is better and in a lot of ways it isn't because it isn't the fun that it used to be. What I think, what I think has happened is um, it's become too corporate. So the corporate side of it's taken over where it was just in its infancy when I first joined. So you were able to... Um, there was more you could do. Um, for example, if um, a car came in and had a problem, everybody would be in there 
but they'd know their pecking order who would be in there doing whatever on it. Nowadays, every man's got a job. Yeah. And it's... Unfortunately, I think, and it's being tested, I could go into McLaren's and ask somebody to change the plugs in a car and they wouldn't know how to do it. No. Which, you know, that's not a proper mechanic in my mind. The proper mechanics who could strip down a... Uh, a DFV or a ZF gearbox yeah. uh, uh, you know they're, they're my age now and they're not doing the travelling because they're too old to do the travelling now I mean even when I was in the trade I I had to do five six year apprenticeship then I had to get a green for them doing national skills test which I had to demonstrate everything from engine tuning welding gearbox overall steering gear over everything you had to demonstrate that in front of the plate with a clipboard and a white coat and then you got a stiff cut but they stopped doing it because it was too hard and no one was passing it so I've still got my national crossing stiff cut I think there's only, it was only about 100 people passed it that I wouldn't have been it so I don't think I'd have a batting else chance of doing, passing it now but then so those were the days really so so you went through the, the 25 years at McLaren 30 30 years at McLaren sorry yeah. so you went through the 30 years and you, you obviously passed through all the different parts of McLaren so what led you to setting up your own business basically and kind of well it was all to do where with you are now really um, resources restriction so the FIA and their wisdom thought it'd be a fantastic thing to cut the costs of Formula 1 racing and I don't know exactly the figures but it's something along the lines for every head you cut you could spend another £150,000 on the car a year so that gives them big incentive to do cost cutting and so they decided to cap it and I once again don't know the exact figures say at 600 employees for McLaren who are working on the race car Ooh. and as McLaren in those couple of years were um, Martin Whitmarsh was the head of the uh, the group he'd been voted in for that period yeah. he felt that we had to be whiter than white squeaky squeaky clean and play the rules so <laughs> in that we were all told that there will be redundancies in McLaren's which were going why you've got big sponsors big money yeah. and it was all yeah. about cost cutting yeah. but being able to spend that money where they wanted to do so if you think of what one fabricator produces in a year is probably cost wise um, I didn't know then what I know now obviously because I'm running my own business but I would have said each fabricator is probably producing a quarter of a million pounds worth of work a year minimum yeah. Yeah. and I don't think somebody You're not costing a quarter of a million to do it exactly <laughs> But I don't think they really looked at the figures and how it was going to work. Yeah. And they sort of shot themselves in the foot because, you know, compared to paying PAYE of an amount and then paying a contractor outside, oh, yeah. which is probably four times the amount yeah. for the same work, yeah. the maths don't add up. So I, I suppose, don't understand. I suppose the difference is a little bit with them pushing stuff outside, they can capitalise that a little bit maybe. It's all, it's all about yeah. what you are then allowed to do. Yeah with the FIA, you know, to, with, um, with them to gain money back through the system. But, you know, that's, that's what's happened. And um, in a way, it's worked out pretty well, I think. Yeah, I mean, I had to think about it. 
because it was a big step. So when did you when did you start Oscraft? Well, that was what I was just going to get to. In mm. 2009, we first heard the hints of there were going to be redundancies and um, had a long conversation with some friends. My wife was heavily involved in it. And it seemed like a no-brainer that if they're going to close virtually the whole fab shop down, somebody's got to do the work. It's got to, there's still going to be the same amount of radiators, same amount of exhaust, same amount of everything going on the car. Yeah. It was an absolute no-brainer to say, right, OK, let's be prepared and then see if I can strike up a deal as a preferred supplier or something like that with McLaren. So um, I waited for my chance to have the meeting and uh, it turned out that they jumped on us with the uh, redundancy notices and I thought right I better get this in here quick so I went up and had a meeting with Jonathan Neal and Simon Roberts and um, they couldn't believe what I was saying to them they said there's one thing there are no bullets flying after you right good point to take a break there and uh, we'll be back to see what 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors. And should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com. And enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh... Just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Back from the break now with Austin Metcalf of Oscroft. We can't say any more than that, but that's yeah. how I'm going to put it. And I said, oh, that's fair enough. But this is my proposition. And I said, how about I go and set up a business and uh, start producing items for you, doing the same thing, the, the, the radiators, the intercoolers, the, the oil coolers, and etc., and exhaust pipes. And they said, yeah, great. And uh, on a passing note, Jonathan Neal said, you know, we'd actually thought of asking whether you'd do this <laughs> and see if you would. Yeah. But we thought you were so ensconced in McLaren, if we cut you in half, you'd be like a bit of Brighton rock yeah. with McLaren yeah. written through you. So they had thought about it, but we'd already, my wife and I had already sort of pushed the buttons. In a way, we'd sort of uh, committed financial suicide by buying this place we're sitting at now. Yeah. Uh, just for, just for, um, in fact, you can't see where we're sitting now. We're sitting in a lovely garden behind a beautiful house with the workshops, etc. behind us. So it's certainly got the facilities to um, to allow the business to flourish. And um, since I've known Austin, there's been 
you know, it's been gradual movement towards built lately anyway, building the business and I come over every few months and there's a little expansion here and some extra machinery in there and you know, I'll get I'll get Austin to go through the kit that he's got in the workshop in a minute just to give you an idea of what's over here, but I butted in there so I'll let you carry on now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean on on but with uh, the the rest of it, they both agreed yes we'll help you um, set up. Uh, there was no financial uh, gain in it. It was just that they would advise and help. And, um, yeah, they did a little bit, and the rest of it all had to come out of uh, my redundancy package. But it's worked, and, um, yeah, we've... Uh, everywhere's fitted out with uh, post, Polystore and Lister cabinets. So it looks like McLaren when you walk in there when it's tidy. We've got five... Um, welding sets TIG uh, three MIG sets all of different uses we have uh, a welding chamber for doing titanium and ink and we've got a lathe and a mill then we've got two band saws two band saws you asked why two band saws one for cutting high speed uh, and it's a plasma cutter more than a thing so it, it runs at such high speed for cutting ink and and stain, uh, titanium and then the other ones for aluminium and uh, softer, slightly less abrasive steels and stuff. Um, so we've got all the kit to be able to do exhaust, radiators and mm. everything. And then uh, various large grinding machines, got 600mm diameter disc sander, which is fantastic. I mean, for eating off metal if you're doing stuff and then you can... Um, flatten off the end of exhaust pipes and all sorts of things with that lovely little yeah. kit. Yeah. Just a little bit about you. What was your um, first automotive memory from uh, when you were a kid? Dad. Dad and his Anglia uh, rallying. And uh, that's where I got my love for Fords. Uh, he was very well known up north, uh, quick rally driver. Um, yeah. I got, that's where it all came from out in the rally car regularly or oh yeah most weekends yeah um with this uh navigator and uh yeah they were quite successful um uh, in the the the, the uh, thing and my, my one of my father's uh, claims to fame is during the foot and mouth of, and I can't remember what the year was 62, 63 whatever it was up north they stopped all the, the rallying mm. yeah. so my father came up with this idea that why don't we keep our hand in, ask a farmer if we can borrow a field or find a field somewhere and hey presto, rally cross was oh, invented yeah. Yeah. so my father was one of the Early protagonists yeah. to inventing rally cross which is, you know, massive is now, now massive now oh yeah, I mean it's, mm. it's taken mm. off I mean, it's always been well-known here at yeah. and in places like that. That's right. Globally, it's taken off massively now with the sponsorship all over the yeah. place and X Games yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. It's an interesting fact. Yeah. There you go. The, the, my dad then... Um, I got my first go-kart. I think I was nine or ten. And uh, dad said to me, Right, as soon as you can drive this flat out around the, the, the Southampton circuit, which I don't think many people knew about in the uh, 60s, but it was there. There was a full cart circuit down in, on the Southampton docks. And um, 
My dad said, no, you're not going around there flat out. So I got a Jubilee clip and Jubilee clipped the throttle to the front bumper. I said, is that throttle open, Dad? Is it fully? He said, yeah. So I just picked the back of the cart up, bumped it and drove, did four or five laps with my foot up in the air to, to boast and not touching the brakes. So proved I could just drive it flat out. And the answer to that was he had to buy me a proper car, yeah. a proper race one rather than this thing I that we it. had. Just for a few years, I had a Perilla 100cc zip, yeah. Perilla engine zip. But we ran at um, Blackbush for a while. Yeah. But then yeah. I got too big for it, so it wasn't. Yeah. It was a bit large for that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, the carts were a great learning ground. They still are, aren't they? For yeah. I mean, I, I, I flourish. I mean, I loved karting. Um, came close to a couple of British championships and and stuff, and uh, you know. Probably the one that made me cry the most was leading at uh, Clay and Shane coming off with two laps to go. Mm. <laughs> but um, there, there's, you know, I've had my moments. I raced in Europe a little bit and, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed my time in the carts. Then I went into saloon cars. I did that for eight years. Um, what, what saloon car classes did you race in? Um, mainly Group N. And... Uh, went between that Group N and Prod Saloons. Might have to explain to our American listeners what Group N is. Group N is basically one step under touring car, so it's like your grade down from NASCAR, the the, the lower level. So you're still on slicks, you've still got fully welded shell, but you haven't got um, the full Monty in the engine, but basically the shells are the same. And then for production saloon, it's virtually the same thing, but you run on road legal tyres. That's the only difference. Yep. So you've still got full race engine and everything. What suspension. type of vehicle did you race? Um, I, well, I campaigned the Golf yep. uh, uh, GTI um, Mark II. Um, successful won quite a few races. Um, third in the championship one year. Um, I think it was first in class, but I can't remember. It's... Uh, it was irrelevant. It was who won the championship that was more, more yeah, relevant. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed my time in that. Put my toe in the water in uh, Thunder Sports. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I actually like that. It's a shame that didn't carry on. That was. It's coming back. Yeah, I think the big bangers yeah. are coming back because yeah, the Trans Am stuff's coming yeah. back in the historics in the That's States. Right. So it'd be nice if that yeah. comes back here as well. Well, it, the, all the guys that had those cars when I was racing. Yeah are bringing them back because what we had is we had what is known as Sports 2000 and mm. I do believe that category does exist in America mm. they've got the Formula Ford 2000 and the Sports 2000 yep. and what we used to do is campaign the Formula Ford or sorry the Sports 2000 as a normal car and it was a pay and rent drive so what we would do is then campaign it in Class C in the Thunder Sports but we used to put a Cosworth engine in it for the weekend. Oh, okay. yeah. So you just literally put the Cosworth lump in there. Normally aspirated, but it's still 300 horsepower, mm. so it's quite quick against a Pinto engine, which would be... Is that a Cosworth as in a BDA type thing? Yes, or, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a good punchy car, but slightly wider slicks on it than what you could run as a standard Sports 2000. And yeah, it's a very quick car. We were very successful. Mm. We usually won class, and what that would do was give us £1,500 in the pocket, plus the pay driver would pay us £1,500 for the weekend. Right. So he gave us three k to, to then money back then, spend on yeah. the saloon car and the production 
which is what we were trying to do. We were virtually racing the um, Prods uh, production saloon and the Group N every weekend throughout the summer. One pays for the other. So. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. do that to make the money for to yeah. pay for the uh, the racing. So yeah. I think that's the that's the thing with this this country, with these islands. Basically, it's a small a small island, but there's a lot of racing goes on, a lot of classes, and a lot of tracks dotted all over the place. And <coughs> so it's still still quite a thriving community. I think eighty percent of the race parts, including IndyCar, yeah, made here, are yeah. made in the UK. Yeah. Yep. and the Americans don't realise that they no, really don't realise no. that all the exhausts made in the UK yep. all the chassis made in the UK Formula 1 triangle because yeah. <laughs> it's um, <coughs> when I interviewed Philip White from Bista Heritage it was yeah. um, basically one of their selling points is that they're smack in the middle of the Formula 1 triangle yeah. basically so. so what did you do after saloon cars? Um, gave up <laughs> no I I, I I still dabbled and went back into uh, endurance kart racing. Um, you know, I love racing. Can't mm. get enough of it. But um, obviously in the last seven years, the business has taken over and um, I just don't get the time, although I'm building a, uh, a car for myself at the moment. I was but just going to say, on my way through the workshop, um, Austin's building something quite nice in there at the minute. <laughs> I'll let him describe it. <laughs> well, the... Um, it's a going to be a Lotus Anglia, so it's basically got everything that a Lotus Cortina would have in it from the 60s, including engine, transmission, and everything, um, into a lighter car, which with a 1500 GT engine should beat a Lotus Cortina with a good peddler in it. And um, it's, yeah, um, I'm still arguing with the historic club that it's not really allowed because they weren't raced like that at the time but that is rubbish because there are hundreds of photographs with those anglias yeah anglias with twin cams in definitely from the period absolutely in the 60s i know quite a few people raced them in the states like that as well yeah well there's a i don't know how true this story is but apparently they sent a couple of of, um anglias down to australia and when the Bathurst was in its infancy um, there was a couple of um, guys who wanted to have some Lotus Cortinas and they weren't allowed to have them so what they did is they purchased a couple of three Anglias, put um, Lotus Cortina engines in it and actually that was it. Yeah. did themselves proud in it and yeah. I think one of them, one of the cars is still running today, it's blue with a fastback on it and also sort of like cowled in front headlights yeah. It's quite that, a famous cause, car. Cause I know I've seen, as you say about the pictures, I've seen pictures where they've liveried up the uh, Angulars in lotus colours as well. That's correct. That That's absolutely so, correct, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a thing as far as it goes. What yeah. were you, where were you raced that? Is that a historics? Yeah, that would be on the historic in, yeah, touring that, car or whatever. Yes, yeah. it would be. So but then there's, um, you know, I've, I've built several cars for customers over the last few years. The, one of them being uh, a Jag E-Type, which was a really interesting project. The guy came to me and said, um, I'd like you to be, build me an E-Type um, to full a, uh, FIA spec. And um, we want to campaign it in the European Historic Touring Car Series. Mm. And he gave me some just to work out. And... Um, 
I fulfilled every every parameter on it. Time for a break. We'll be back with Austin Metcalf after these messages. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have... The top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Let's continue our interview with Austin Metcalf. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so that's, that's just sort of getting going back a little bit. What was your first classic car that you owned now? Because <laughs> I know we're going to be having quite a list of cars here, but what's the first one that took your fancy? MGB. Yeah, I, um, that was my actually my second car was an MGB. Well, it was actually my first car, but my second car that I had that was um, not my parents. Yeah. No, so I'd driven all my parents' cars, but my dad's sixteen hundred GT Capri was yeah. um, the first one I grabbed. What about the first one that you wrecked? Oh, that was my mum's Renault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I threw it into a wall. Yeah. But um, you know, we should. What was it? Well, it's a Renault 4, uh-huh. um, 1964 B Reg, and uh, it was absolutely raining sideways. And the talent. I opened the door up, and the talent stepped out. Oops. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just let the talent out the door, basically. Yeah. What came after the MG? Um, oh, I got boring after that. I got married. <laughs> um, Often gets in the way, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, that was the. the to the present wife that was the first wife so uh, <laughs> it was um, had to buy a house so all the toys had to go yep. except for the carts kept the carts still kept racing um, still at McLaren still travelling with them going all over the world racing and stuff um, yeah so I was having quite a good time yeah and uh, yeah, and then um, I got asked to do the refuelling and that became another game. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh... I don't know if people remember, um, for quite a long time, there was refuelling in Formula One, which was uh, interesting, to say the least. I think there was some stuff went on that um, could be described as kind of dangerous, to uh, say the least. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll let you describe that a little bit. Well, it was... Um, the whole the whole way it was set up in the early days, it was just it was just out and out dangerous. Yeah. It was an accident waiting to happen, and the Benetton uh, fire proved that. And from the information that I got, they only spilt just over half a litre of fuel. 
to cause that fire. Mm. And that was enough to make that fireball because it's not the petrol that goes up, it's fumes. Yeah. And, you know, it, that was an eye opener to everybody. And I'd been working with uh, a couple of the guys who were on the FIA about making the mechanism. It's a helicopter refueling system, mm. basically. But it wasn't meant to work in a pit. Thing. It was the helicopter lands. Pressure. Yeah. The, the the rotors are still going, but the guy can go up, push it on slowly, take, his time. Yeah. take it and pull it off. Yeah. Not to ram it on yeah. there, knock it on a couple of surfaces, which can hit the detents yeah. and set it off. Definitely. But yeah. it, you know, literally, what it was is the guy had hit it, and um, in the um, evacuation pipe, the breather pipe was half a litre of fuel and that's what leaked out onto the yeah. car. When I was at college we did an experiment. Um, we had a, a long wooden box with glass sides. We used to put a pot of petrol at one end and a candle up the other end. So the sides stayed up like that and it within a minute the petrol would flare yeah. inside the box. And when I first went in the motor trade we had pits to work on cars and that's it right. always used to have don't smoke in the pit. And one afternoon there was an almighty bang from over on the service line and a bloke had frazzled himself basically, had no eyebrows left, <laughs> nothing. He was really lucky to survive to be honest with you because it flashed in the pit. Yeah. And I don't think people realised the situation with fumes. Mm. Well, no, um, the, the, the fumes, yeah, I mean... We, that's what it's about really. We, uh, <clears throat> we were very lucky. We, you know, I think anybody that was involved in the refuelling in the 90s will tell you that it... it um, it's an absolute adrenaline rush to have a car running down the pit lane at you. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, before all the speed limits came in, and braking and hoping that he's going to stop in his mark. I was just going to ask you that he don't knock you over while you're making your way to I, the I, car as well. I must admit, I've had, I did have to take a few steps to the side a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. The, the thing is, if the front jack man jumps, he doesn't go over. Yeah. He just gets pushed backwards. And they're quite, they sort of practice this, where yeah, they sort of jump up so and they go backwards thing. with the thing. Yeah. I don't think it would quite work with the new jacks they've got these days because they have got swivels and all sorts of things. Yeah. They've got quite also, technical that, with those it. refueling rigs looked heavy as well. Oh, they were. They, they were straight yeah. out of. They were um, helicopter refueling rigs. Yeah. So it just looked, it looked <coughs> a real heavy, unwieldy thing. Was it? Yeah. A team of two of you, or three of you, was that? Two of us yeah. holding the pipe, yeah. because obviously the pipe gets quite heavy when it's full of fuel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then one guy on the handle, hoping he's going to pull the right one. Um, that's an interesting thing if they pull the wrong one. Definitely. And, um, yeah, you work as a team. <clears throat> I came up with the idea of uh, having a set of traffic lights on the top of it, so that as the fuel's going in, you get a... First of all, a light saying, right, you've, you've started halfway through, yeah, and then you done. get a couple of LEDs leading up to, we're coming yeah. off now, before the guy goes, that's it. All this time <coughs> you've got the driver wanting to go. Revving the nuts off the thing. Probably got radio in your ear as well, as you think, well, you're doing it, I guess. And you, you, you have, but I've only got to stop the, what's going on and Ron shouting down the phone at you and all, all yeah. down the intercom at you. We did it so that the only person talking to us was the yeah. guy on the handle. Ah, uh, right, yeah. He was a safety guy. Because otherwise it's But my, mi my microphone, yeah. when I came off, I used to say, off. Yeah, but I used to say it 
about two seconds after I'd pulled off, so at least I didn't take a step back. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> it used to be all kinds of things where cars were driving off with them still connected and yeah. God knows what else. After my time. Yeah, that yeah, one was yeah. after my time yeah, when I was doing the refueling. Yeah. So, was that the last sort of travelling racing involvement you had? No. Um, you a bit more after that? No, I did quite a lot of uh, testing. I uh, got involved heavily with... Um, yeah, just going and doing the fabricating on tests. I did uh, a couple of years of that, of uh, going out. I, I can't remember how many times a year, but it was a lot. And then um, my last test was uh, Idiada, which is a proving ground in mm. Spain. Yeah. And uh, they're all standing around shaking their heads and going, "We can't. We've got to. We're not going to run tomorrow now." And I said, "What's the problem?" And they said, "We can't do this and do that." I said. Give me two hours and I'll have a solution for you. And I came up with a solution to solve their problem. Mm. And basically I saved the company nearly a million pounds. Yeah, because I know they often used to fly <coughs> you out to look at things when they, yeah. things were, couldn't, when they couldn't fix things out and about. Because they paid, paid for the day. Yeah. And, you know, you don't get that money no, back. So, um, do, you, do you think it's been to the detriment less testing or has it been better overall? I think, it's a personal opinion... I think there should be a box. What you do inside that box doesn't matter. Right. This is Formula One. Yep. It is the fastest yeah. sport, car sport in the world. Yep. It is the pinnacle. Yep. You can throw your Indy cars away, throw your groups, Group Cs and all that. It is the fastest motorsport mm. in the world. And it should be allowed to be remained so yeah. as that. Um, I think that the technology should be allowed to be used and I think you should just have a boxes around this area, that area, this area. What you do inside that box up is you. up to you to go the fastest. Yeah. Um, CC, yeah. If you in, in, uh, force induct it, that's up to you. Mm. If you have electric motors, you can't have both. You either have forced induction or electric motors. Yeah. You, which route you want to go, you go down one route. But that's what it should be. Mm. And in fact, I'd say get rid of all the electric motors. It's not about electric motors. No, it's about really. I mean, internal combustion engine yeah. and getting as much yeah. power out of that one drop should, of fuel. Um, cap the budgets across the board as they well. Scrap that. Yeah. I think they should scrap all that. I mean, <laughs> when they started bringing in budget capping we're all scratching our heads this is Formula 1 yeah. people don't want to see people doing a fuel saving exercise running around no, in a circle that is not racing I think the only the only thing I find with it is, is if you get maybe one or two teams that have got too large an amount of money to spend then the others are not competitive enough that's <coughs> the only thing well that's doing. down to the FIA the other thing they could do there's enough money in there yeah the people like Ferrari and all that, they don't need no. all the FIA money. No. And this is, once again, is a, my personal view, not the view of any other, per, you know, McLaren or uh, associates or people I've worked for. This is my personal view. I think what they should do is share the money out equally, make it a level playing field as an equal, so Marussia get exactly the same money as Ferrari from the yep. FIA for all the, the, all the, all the um, TV rights, travelling and all the rest of it. Everybody's in the show. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's it. End of. It should be level playing field and that would 
honestly, that would really level it out if they gave all the teams equal yeah. rights and shares. It's a bit like, I mean, it's a different sport, but the NFL football, the teams that finished bottom the previous year get to pick the best college players the following year to equal up the, the yeah. league. So everything's equal. Anyone can win that every year and things like that. So We've always said it would be really nice. It's never going to happen. Yeah. That at the end of year, you have a couple of races where the drivers all get in different cars. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd like And that. then we'd, yeah. we'd have seen when Shuey was at, at his peak, Senna was at his peak, yeah. what they could do could they really in the also rounds. Yeah. That would have been really interesting. Yeah. That's what I found. It, it, it's kind of in Formula E a bit because they've all got the same car, more or less. The way it runs isn't right, changing cars over <coughs> and all that sort of stuff. But at least you can see who's a better driver because they're all driving a similar car to a yeah. degree. So, well, that's, that comes back to if you want to do one make series, you go and do GP2 yeah, or yeah. the Renault or, or Porsche Cup or something Porsche like Cup that, yeah. or IndyCar yeah. racing. Formula One is its own thing. Really. Yeah, yeah. you know the whole idea is you are a manufacturer. Yeah, and um, you know yeah. that's. I mean, it can it can be done. I mean, look at NASCAR; they've got a set of rules yeah. and stuff like that, and the, and, the, and the winning does get shared around quite a bit. Yeah, you know? but look what happened in I think it's the eighties yeah. with a seven eighth size car. Yeah, I know, you know, I know, things like that. That was yeah, really yeah. clever. So Whoever what, thought that one up? There's um, oh, what was his name? I can't remember his name now. There was all sorts of stuff like that going on, and well, acid petty acid and dipping. And, oh, and, well, well, that know, still goes. On. I mean, and I've had the Anglia acid dipped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean the. Um, the Jaguar's acid dipped to get the weight off. The, the, I got the Jaguar down lighter and lightweight. When it was complete with no fluid in it, it was 850 kilos on the ground with tyres, but no fluids. So there's no water, no oil, no petrol. Yeah, so going back to the, like the end of McLaren, so what was the... You sort of went back into the factory side of it, or once you'd finished the racing side? I was always in the factory. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know... Um, but more on the racing side of the factory rather than the production no, side. No, I, I always went back to the fab shop. Mm. So I was always. But they weren't the fab producing shop. cars. They weren't always producing road going cars. There were they? No. Were there? That was a I, recent thing. Yeah, that, I mean, I never really got involved in producing any parts for the road car mm. until I started up my own business. And yeah. It, you know, there's, yeah. there was a couple of things like um, for the, the P1 when it came out. First of all. Ron said, I hate the oil tanks. Get Austin to maybe a couple of Gucci oil well, tanks I remember for that, to be honest with you. It's time for a break. We'll be back with Austin Metcalf after these messages. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have... The top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors. 
and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Let's continue our interview with Austin Metcalf. So, going back to what you've had car-wise, what do you think, I'm not that's a bit of a stupid question because I'm sitting here looking at it at the minute, but what's the best car you've had so far then? GT40. Yeah, and the other thing that you've got sitting out here? (laughs) (laughs) The Astin's really nice, but um, I've got to say my my real love is the uh, GT40. Tell them about about that, because Austin's built his own GT40. I've yet to have a ride in it, but one day. It's... um, (laughs) Something I, I mean, as a kid, my dad took me to uh, Alton Park because we used to live in Macclesfield, and um, I saw the first race the GT40 ever entered in, and nobody had seen a car like this. Mm. Everything had been front-engined, you know, all the 250 GTOs, all those exotic cars of that era, the D-types, and all that. All those Le Mans cars had been front-engined cars. And suddenly, this Ford appears in a sort of cream with a couple of bits of matte black on it and I can remember it vividly it didn't last the race because it had a terrible Italian Carlotti gearbox in it until they put the ZF in it that, that then it became a, a viable proposition but that car stuck in my mind and I vowed when I think I was about 14 or 15 by 40 I'd have one and I the only way I could do it was build my own yeah. what, what is it because it was a kit, wasn't it? When you it got was it? a kit, but then it gradually got... Clarinized. Well, monocoque. <laughs> Basically, I, 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 uh, Ron said, well, I know the guy that um, does all the work at Sapphires. And I went, oh, oh, yeah. Can you put me in touch? So he put me in touch with this guy called Jim Rose, who was uh, one of the better, or probably the, the best uh, fabricator and director there. And he... Um, very kindly lent me some blueprints and built it from I built it from that and um, tell us a bit more about the GT40 well I decided that um, I wanted it to be as good as I could possibly get it even if I couldn't afford at the time to do the gearbox so me being me I wasn't going to put a Renault gearbox in it so that was a big no-no so I looked at all the other options and nothing else really worked so I thought I can't afford to buy a ZF for it which is what it really needs in it. So I thought, it can't be that hard to make your own gearbox. So I then looked into it, made myself a a wooden butt, and uh, got a casting company down in Southampton to cast me three or four castings, so I knew I wouldn't get it right first time, which was absolutely right. Mm. Uh, Machined all the parts out, and I used uh, Porsche G50 internals in it. And, uh, yeah, it's still in there. It's done... I don't know how many thousand miles now, but it's uh, it runs really well. It does uh, 33 and a half miles an hour per thousand RPM, and it tops out at about seven. So you can do your maths yourself. It's a quick car. Nought to 60 is around about three and a bit. Two eight nine. No, it's a three oh two. But it's basically got NASCAR internals in it. Yep. So it's. Um, all from America. Uh, the only thing that's not NASCAR is you've got Keith Black pistons because they're slightly better. Yeah. But it's got the right rocker covers and all that on it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got Dan uh, Gurney Wesley rocker covers and all that stuff. sort of thing on it. 
and it rolling roads at about 550. What have you got um, diff wise in it? It's got a, a limit. It's well, yeah. the, the, the diff is Porsche, but yeah. it's limited. It's a That's part of that same gear yeah. set. So I know you're having problems blowing drive shafts up. I just kept snapping drive shafts in it. Well, so that, what drive shafts are you using? Are you having to use the we, drive shaft? First of all, I was using Ford Granada drive shafts, and it literally oh, yeah. just snap snapped them in half. So in the end, found out what McLaren were using for their drive shafts, which is an M2000 type metal that's made in America, and uh, they're made out of that. So they were broached. That's military grade. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. It's, it's anything with an M in front of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real. It, it's it's. Uh, it's a step up from 4130, but it's got toughness and all the rest of it, and I don't know what the material spec is. You, so you've got, got the GT40 the way it is. I, I, I assume you're going to do more with it when you yeah, have I the mean, time, I guess. That's I mean, the, uh, the yeah, uh, projects are always ongoing, Ongoing, yeah, yeah very much so. Uh, the GT40 is pretty much there. It's got original uh, 1960s Halibrands on it, which uh, a guy called Mike White from the States, he has the original Halibrand casting. Mm. So all these other people have got the things, they haven't got the original ones. This yeah. guy's got the original things from Halibrands and he cast my wheels. It took me a year and a half to convince him to do it, do it but I uh, got him to do it in the end. Uh, it's got all the, the bits on the outside and uh, other few things, but one little Pierre de resistance I've got on it is that um, it's got Ayrton Senna's gear knob from Monaco I was going to mention that but I thought I'd leave that one to you <coughs> it's um, yeah have you got some Formula 1 pedal boxes in it pedal box in it I made right? the, well it's what been made, made in the yeah. same way as a Formula 1 pedal box out of titanium and, and stuff uh, the car is very light uh, there's a lot of titanium in it and uh, other exotics yeah. it was interesting what you told me before about um, Lewis Hamilton still preferring your pedal box in metal rather than the carbon well that, no, that, that's going back years ago it's just yeah. uh, a preference they all had years Deal, ago I, um, I was yeah. very fortunate to uh, be asked to look after Lewis in the summer holidays because Ron didn't want him going off so and his when he was 15th which would be the equivalent of the fourth year and then his fifth year summer holidays he came into McLaren to learn mm. how much it costs and what it is to build a race car yeah. so he was put with me to um, show him that and he we we had a, a good laugh together I did have to tell him off a few times for coming in in the morning sitting on the bench that he had, did have a habit of coming up and slinging himself up on the bench and just sitting there and going what are we doing today Oz and I go get off the bench yeah. first of all you know. I think he gets a lot of bad press to be honest he did, he's a lovely he, he still is yeah. a lovely kid I think he's um yeah, he gets bad press. He's probably right up there with Senna. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's got the magic. Yeah. He's got that little the bit racer. that Petty yeah. had, that Jim Alan Clark had, Jim like Clark. Yeah. There's one or two drivers that have got the mustard, and, you know, they, they, they just... He's one of them. Like, at the minute, Rosberg's a good driver, but he, he hasn't mentally got what Hamilton's got. He just doesn't have it, I don't think. You're going to be surprised at this. I do not rate Rosberg no, at all. No, I mean, he's he's one of these, I'm afraid, homogenised clone Formula 1 drivers. Yeah. There's a lot of them around. 
you know, every boy. series, yeah. and I'm going to get a lot of people writing back on this one, every series he has raced in, that he's raced against Lewis in, been beaten. he's been beaten. <laughs> yeah. He's never actually beaten, overtaken Lewis on the circuit in any formula. I've just, I've just read Mark Webber's book, and if you want to take anyone's word through, they've got respect for, throughout the book, he's got the most respect for Lewis Hamilton, you know, regardless, yeah. and, and, I, and um, you know, if, if, he's, if he's got respect for him as well, enough yeah. said really, isn't it, because he, he doesn't pull any punches. Mark Webber is a lovely guy, yeah. very quick peddler. Yeah. He had... It not being a German team, I think he possibly could have had a world championship. He was close. He was close, wasn't he, to be honest. And, and yeah. if you consider he came into it quite late as well. When he brought that Minardi home in third place in the Australian Grand Prix, yeah, everybody was going, how the hell did he drag that yeah. turd up the green? Yeah, well, if, you, if you look at it now, even <coughs> Mark in the Porsche, he's showing a lot of these young guns oh, the way. Yeah. Oh, he certainly is. And it's, you know, um, he's not... No, no. He's no slouch. No, no slouch thing, whatsoever. And it, it, it is interesting when you start comparing drivers and stuff like As you said, in any sort of part of motorsport, Roger Clark and watch Roger Clark's son win the hill climb at Goodwood again this year. You know? Yeah. He looks yeah. so much like his old man. It's yeah. scary, you know what I mean? It really yeah. is scary. But Right, well, let's, we're, we're kind of getting getting near the end of things now. It's been, been really good. But what have you had to go through the shop then in, in the sort of time, just in a quick, overview because I've been over here from time to time and seen you know I've just seen yeah. John Surtees his engine sitting in there at the minute and I've seen I think was that an ex Jim Clark Lotus that you had over here yes it was yeah. Lotus 32B so Lotus 32B needed a total rebuild chassis full chassis suspension and everything we did a ground up resto on that for a customer it's funny that the E-Type and that are his two favourite cars and he, he takes those everywhere he just drives those two particular cars all the yeah. time the E-Type was the E-Type a racer originally or was it a racer no we built it from scratch so it's a with new parts brand, or, brand new yeah. built absolutely as the original yeah. would be built so it's alley mostly alley then no just still you cannot legally use an alley build jet. an alley lightweight, lightweight. <laughs> it's illegal yeah. It's against the rules. You can yeah. build a steel one. Well, it's funny actually because they did, they've done that um, thing where they've used up the last few numbers they at Jack and they won't let them race them. That's will they? right. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's weird, isn't it? Because they're built in the same way, built at the same place, and it's kind yeah. of strange. They won't let and them the, yeah, if you get a GT40 built in South Africa, you can you can use you can it campaign it in historic racing. Yeah, you know, I've got that Daytona in my yard here at the moment, yeah. which I'm doing the exhaust system for. Yeah, and that. Can race in any FI race anywhere in the world. It's mad, isn't it? It's absolutely mad. And that car, I don't think, is even ten years old. So that's a that's a Cobra Daytona replica, isn't it? It's the a South African car. It's yeah. a South African yeah. one. So it's a replica, is, really, isn't it? It is a replica. Yeah. It's a recreation, as they call yeah. it. But it's legible for racing. And then going on from that, uh, the latest thing we're working on now is stereolithographics, which is form of 3D printing. Yeah. So printing in metal. I'm assuming, I was assuming you're going to be jumping on that one fairly quickly as well, because that's for you, from your point of view, that's really... Well, it's new, it's new technology and we're, you know, that's where we're at at the moment. So we basically you can... Prototyping. Prototyping and the speed that you can do things, but you can make any shape and we've got the chamber to do all the welding for the customers, so... But now, I've got, except for the Ferrari, I've got a part on every car on the, the grid. Last year, I did have parts on the Ferrari as well. Yeah. But now, I've got a part on every single car on the grid. I was, was going to tell you, the 
tell the listeners about the fact we use these high performance exhausts you're building for just about everything now as well yeah. and you're just about to do it for the Aston as well so. yeah I, I'm going to start marketing uh, an exhaust system for the Aston Martin I mean you're building those for just about I mean I've seen the Ferrari ones what else did you do? The BMWs? What else? Yeah, the, the, um, we did the uh, exhaust for uh, a guy that was, was the Brit series. I'm trying to think what it was. It's was uh, 430. 430, that was it. Yeah. And we did an exhaust system because the car was too loud. worked really well and actually gave him more power. The most interesting one to finish on a quick note was a guy came to me from the British Heritage Trust for Jaguar and said, can you uh, build me an exhaust system for... Mike Hawthorne's Mark mm. One or the clone of his car, yeah. and uh, which uh, has been driven by such people like uh, Salvadori and a few other mm. people like that. And I said, yeah, no problem. The interesting thing is going from old technology, which is the exhaust system that went was on there, according to their test driver, which is quite a respected guy, um, Andy Wallace. Yep. He reckons it could be be anything between. 35 to 50 horsepower different from the original Mark yeah. 1 exhaust that's from just changing the exhaust system sure, and making yeah. it equal lengths Flowing the right lengths yeah. that it needed and everything again that's that's unheard of such a difference don't they if everything's even and everything's flowing and all got to be the same yeah. you've got to have exhausts are so important people don't realise it exhaust lengths have got to be the same if you've got one slightly shorter the pulse is yeah. not going to meet in yeah. the collector at the same time at a different yeah, time and that's important. the whole idea you're trying to get the timing yeah, so exactly. there's an equal gap between each pulse yeah. you gain power that because you are evacuating yeah you know, you there know, is yeah. so much free horsepower on engines most cars are built as a compromise between yeah. economy roadworthy if you want something to perform you've got to get it to breathe properly and that's, that's, that's it you take the compromise out of it and cool that we've just been attacked by helicopter now as well yeah. that's a, a good point to finish on I think so thanks for your time today Austin it's been great pleasure thank you very much cheers thank you very much this has been Kevin Flood for the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio goodbye for now you're listening to America's Web Radio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.